0: everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are honestly so excited that we get to be together with you. And tonight I have a little extra excitement because we're gonna be looking at what I actually believe is for me one of the scariest passages in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you're gonna agree, but I wanna tell you, I, I'm actually not joking. It really is one of the scariest passages in the Bible. So get ready to get scared. Uh, tonight, uh, we have uh, all these awesome people here with me, but we have some here special that's not normally with us, Priscilla. And Priscilla, uh, I want to say, we have your own mic, your name's on it. Uh, Pam, Priscilla's here. Uh, So it's just so cool. And uh, you know what? Um, I want to tell you, I've never got to say this to you, how proud I am that you keep winning award after award after award at work. So tell everybody where you work.
1: I work for Geico.
0: Which is a Berkshire half-half the way company. Yeah,
1: you did your homework.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, and did you win what's called the Admirals Award? I did. Yeah, which is what?
1: <clears throat> Basically, it's um, we have like metrics we have to hit each year. And in my department, um, I've won it, I think, five out of seven years, which is nice. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I hit, like, the goal, or I exceeded the goal for my department. And what they do is they give you a trip, all-inclusive trip, with you plus one. Tracy's usually my plus one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And they take us on a trip, um, Bahamas one year, Texas, New Orleans. Um, COVID hit, so I got a big bonus <laughs> oh, okay. I couldn't go anywhere.
0: So. Well, you were supposed to go on a trip and didn't get to go because of COVID. Yeah. We right? have
1: credits, though, so we're planning to use it next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I think all of us are so proud of you, to a woman of you. excellence, and you keep nailing your goals, and, and your company loves you, and, and you shine for Christ. So I think that Thank is you. so cool. You're a crossroads person. Thank you. I, I'm happy
1: to
0: be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys were planning on going uh, to South Africa together, right? And are you? No. (laughs) It got canceled. It got
1: canceled the day after I told her about it. So I was really bummed. But we're going to London. Okay.
0: And you're going to London. That's what I wanted to get. So you had your Bahamas trip canceled, your South Africa trip canceled. And then you guys also were going to go shark diving together. (laughs) Which also got canceled. (laughs) Which also got canceled. But dude, these guys were going to dive with the sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that scary?
1: Uh, I'm terrified. That's like probably my number one fear, of sharks, but taking one for the
0: sister team. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? Were you scared at all?
2: Not as much, no. She doesn't even get into the ocean. She's scared of sharks. And so we were going to go shark cage diving. And uh, yeah, she did. She took one for the team. Yeah, <laughs> but then it got canceled. Yeah, an, so. an
0: international shark expert.
1: Yeah, you know, it was um, they were going to film Shark Week. Um, the Discovery Channel was going to do that, the same trip that we were going to go on. But... It
0: got canceled, That's okay. Yeah, I thought the episode was going to call When Sisters Are Eaten. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So is it a little scary to be on the mic right now? Um,
1: I'm, you know what, you made it a little easier. I was scared at first, so I was like, why is he giving me the
0: microphone? Okay, but well, okay tonight now. we're going to be talking about the scariest passage in the Bible, and uh, a lot of things cause people fear. By the way, uh, uh, more, uh, more people are afraid of the dentist than almost anything else but there's something people are afraid of even more than a dentist. Did you guys know what it is? Death. Public speaking, yeah. Oh, what are you gonna say, Laura? death. Death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for us Christians, no. Uh, No, no, okay, death is a big one. Uh, I would agree with that. But public speaking, for some reason, is harder. And and so we're gonna talk about a scary, scary passage in the Bible that also deals with people's fears. And I think there are a lot of things in life that can freak us out. Uh, We're all afraid of different things. Like, are any of you out there a little freaked out, maybe not a lot freaked out, but a little freaked out that uh, you're just having a conversation in your home, and then all of a sudden, all these ads start popping up about your conversation. (laughs) Like, who is listening in, you know, uh, on that? And you just kind of wonder that, you know, it's just a little freaky, like, you know, Alexa's, you know, spying on you or something. Um, Then uh, Laura helped me discover something tonight I had never thought of before. Um, I've been getting all these ads in my feed, all right? I bet you're not getting them. So so we're going to see. I'm getting all these ads in my feed on how to buy a shirt that will hide your beer belly. Uh, and I'm get, do you get those? Not yet. <laughs> no, he no. said not yet. But Laura <laughs> let, the, she goes, oh, so that's in your feet. And it hit me. So like you know, Siri's taking a picture of me. And, uh, that's probably <laughs> what's happening. Out, yeah. yeah. Cause nobody, you know, is getting those ads <laughs> except me. Cause you know me. Okay. That's a little scary. Um, one time, by the way, I really had a, an incredibly scary moment. I, and I'm not kidding. I'm not going to exaggerate. So sometimes I do this time. I'm going to give you the story, but it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating. I was going to Hope University. I got a job working in a mortuary, which was awesome because it was quiet. <laughs> no. And, uh, <laughs> but I could do my homework there. And, uh, and I got to, I got to learn, you know, about how to help people in times of mourning, uh, from this amazing family and the people who own the mortuary. By the way, this is kind of cool. The mortuary was on the bottom and then they had a second story where they lived. They lived on the top of the mortuary, like in this awesome house, but of course underneath them, is a active mortuary. So anyway, what happened is uh, I came in and they said, hey, we're going to ask a huge favor. And I said, what is it? They go, we, uh, the law of California is, and I had just started. I had not worked there very long. The law in the state of California is someone has to man the mortuary, at least back then all the time. You could not have it manned. And so they said, look, we have this uh, morticians uh, uh, convention banquet we're going to, and um, we need you to stay here until we get back. And I thought, oh, okay. They go, we'll pay you extra and all that. And they're such a nice family. I'm like, you don't have to. Oh, no, we are. Uh, and they said, you know, just here's the thing. Uh, at nine o'clock, you lock this place up, turn out most of the lights. And, uh, you know, and, and then when we get back, you'll hear the car pull in the garage uh, and you'll hear us go up and then you can just slip out then. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Then the first thing I start thinking is, what do they serve in a mortician's banquet? And I know the answer, finger food. <laughs> It's a joke. It's a joke. (laughs) Okay, everybody online, no one here is laughing. (laughs) So, except Dave and me. Okay, yeah. (laughs) All right. So, anyway. So, they leave. I'm sitting there doing my shift. It comes 9 o'clock, and I go through the lockup procedure, but this time I don't get to leave. So the lockup procedure is very clear. You have to start by locking certain doors so you're moving through the mortuary and turning out the lights and you don't accidentally turn out the lights on somebody. Uh, Which, by the way, you probably know it'd be a big deal not to have, you know, you're sitting there in in a viewing room with your dearly departed loved one and the lights go out on you would not be uh, a good good business practice. So uh, I go over to the front door and I turn it off and turn out all the lights. But the way they taught me to turn out the lights, you turn out the lights and you stand in the darkness and listen. Then you go to the next lighted area, go down, shut everything off, stand in a dark area and listen. And it's all about protecting people. But don't miss this. I'm standing in a dark area with room after room after room filled with dead bodies. As a matter of fact, that night we were packed. Like every viewing room had a dead body in it. Uh, the, the prep room had a dead body, dead body on every table in it. And so I'm, I'm turning out all the lights It's standing. And then what happened is I go to this one hallway and in the hallway, there's an elevator here that they have to go up and down to the house, but I have to go past it and I have to lock the door and turn out the light and I'm standing there and I'm in pitch black and now the mortuary is empty and I hear these creaking sounds, and I'm like, okay, wait, this is like weird, and I I thought, okay, you know, it's okay, it's okay, and I'm not scared, because I thought I know better than that, but it's like, keep your perspective, so I walk in the dark past the elevator, and I go into the little office, I'm in the only one that's lit, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I start doing my homework and stuff, and it's just it's dead quiet. (laughs) Okay. Good. I got laughs. All right. So, so I'm sitting there doing my homework and then I hear a sound and I like jump and I thought, what, what is it? And, uh, I'm sitting there longer and, and I'm listening and I hear another sound. And this time I'm like, no, there's something making a sound. And, uh, uh, and then I start thinking like, what if a drug addict wants to break in and rob the place? Cause that has happened before the mortuaries. And I'm thinking I'll be here all alone with them, you know? And, and then I start thinking of that. And then I go and I stand in the hallway and I hear a sound again. And I'm like, got to be kidding me. Something's going on. So I go to figure out where it is. I even open up the prep room and go in. I I look at the dead bodies with the sheets over them. They actually had sheets over them. And I'm waiting for it to go in and out, you know, like somebody woke up, you know, or something. And so now you can tell I am, I'm freaking out. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. Am I going to call Pam? Am I going to, how am I going to get my head back together? And then it happens all of a sudden. And I almost jump. The elevator starts up, but I didn't hear him come home. So I walk over, and I look, and here's the elevator door, and there's a little window in the elevator, and as the elevator comes down, remember, this is a dark, dark, pitch-dark uh, hallway. As the elevator comes down, the light begins to shine, like this eerie light, though, not bright light, from the elevator, and I'm thinking in my head, do I go past the elevator to turn on the light in the hallway, but if I do, and there's something in there, I'm trapped. So I don't think I'm going to do that. And then I'm thinking, do I just go back in the office? I'm like, no, I got to know what's in the elevator. And so the elevator comes to a sound and I'm standing there and nothing happens. And I thought, how did this elevator start up? And then the door begins to open. And I'm not kidding. It makes the squeak. And I'm like, no, you (laughs) got to be kidding me, man. It's like that eerie squeak. And it opens up. And then all of a sudden, this white object comes floating out. It's about this high off the ground. And it comes floating out. And I'm looking at it. And then I'm freaking out like, what is that? Because all it is is this white object. And then it begins to turn towards me. And I see these bright red lips. And it turns. And then it screams, ah! as loud as it can, and I freak out, and I scream too, and when I scream, it screams again, and I'm thinking, what is it, and then all of a sudden, she turns on the light. It's the mortician's daughter, and she thought her dad told me that I could leave, so she didn't think I was there. And she had white cold cream all over her face and was wearing dark sweats. That's why her head floated. And, uh, and, and she scared me to death, you guys. And then she looked at me and said, you can't tell anybody about this. You got to promise you'll never tell. And tonight I'm telling thousands of you hear her story. But I was freaked out. There are times in our life when we become afraid. There are certain things that'll scare us. Sometimes it's almost that horror film feeling. Other times it's a a fear of something you're facing, like a needle, Tracy, uh, that you know, uh, and you got to deal with that. Or or sometimes it's other things. But there's this one passage in the Bible that gets me, and it really does. I, I sit and think about it. There are times it settles in more than others. Uh some people would think one of the scariest passages in the Bible is in the book of Isaiah uh where we see scab-headed women with rotting flesh chasing men which is your favorite passage. Sure. Yeah, you you love that every time I preach on it, right? Yeah. It's very vivid. Yeah, it is very. But that's not where we're at tonight. Some of you're going, "Let's go there." But we're not. We're in the book of Ezekiel. And God calls Ezekiel in the beginning of Ezekiel and he's going to give him a calling that's not an easy calling to have. It's in Ezekiel chapter two, verse four. And it says this, God said, I am sending you to them. I'm sending you to these people, Ezekiel, who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord your God, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious house, they will know that a prophet is among them. Now, by the way, that's what he's saying to Ezekiel. I don't know, I'm telling you, I'm not promising to listen They may listen, they may not listen, but you speak, you share, you declare, you don't hold back because you're a prophet. And whether they agree or not, whether they like it or not, whether they listen or not, they're going to know a prophet was among them. That becomes very important for where we're going. And I don't want you to miss that. Then it says in verse six, and you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though... Thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words, nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. Now, i, I would I got to unpack this a little bit for you. Uh, it's interesting. The word thistles is the idea of a stinging nettle. It's actually a Hebrew word that means to, to shoot forth. And so what happens is a thistle, in this case, is a stinging nettle. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but I have before. I, I was out near a pond like area, and I stepped into a bunch of nettles, and they start shooting. It's almost like they're shooting. Well, actually, they, they are shooting, and they sting, and sting, and sting, and man, you start swelling, and swelling, and swelling. It's like a, a, almost a bee sting without the bee. And then it says thorns, and the word there is one you would probably know right away. It's a barbed thorn. So when it goes in, and you go to pull it out, it rips. And he said, the people are like stinging nettles, and th- thistles and barbed thorns. And then he says, and it's like sitting on scorpions. So it's like being stung, being poisoned, and then having something fiery stinging you again and again. And he said, you know what? That's what you're going to face. It's going to be that hard. They're, they're going to turn on you at times. It's going to be Painful. And in verse 7, it says, but you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house. He goes, you've got to declare it. You've got to speak it. You can't be silent in this moment. And he goes, and then they're going to know there's a prophet among them. And Ezekiel's told, I want you to do that. And then God shows Ezekiel something. And this is really important for you and I to hang in and and look at. Uh, Don't get lost in the imagery. God shows Ezekiel a scroll. Uh, this scroll comes, uh, uh, in many places in the Bible, it shows up and God has him look at this scroll and he says, I want you to eat the scroll. And he said, when you eat it, it will be sweet like honey to you. Uh, that that's because the word of God, the word of God is so incredible. And he said, I want you to take in the word of God. And then I want you to give out the word of God. And when you take it in for you, Ezekiel, it's going to be pleasant. The scroll's going to show up later in the book of Revelation. And God's going to show it to John the apostle. And he's going to say, John, I want you to eat of the scroll. And at first, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter in your stomach. And, and again, don't lose me on this, because I want to come back to why this is important. Uh, because God wants you and I to know the truth of what we're hearing. And it says in Revelation chapter 10, when John sees this scroll, that Ezekiel had seen. It says, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, here's the key to understanding what's going on. I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Now, what's going on here is, comes, and how, why does it apply to you and I? Ezekiel is told, I want you to take in the word of God, and I want you to, to share it with other people, let it out. And, and he says, when I ate of the word of God, it was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, it was like honey in, in, on my lips. John said, I had the same initial reaction when I heard God's word. But when I began to realize what was going to occur, it became bitter. It turned inside me. Why? Because it was going to be God's judgment. So God's word was sweet. God's judgment would be bitter. Now, as a believer, believe it or not, that's how we are to be. You know, on the one hand, man, I love God's word. I love prophecy. I love all the things that are in it. I love talking about it. I'm sharing on it. I I, even more love seeing it happen before our eyes. Uh, Tim shares this with me because I'll get these texts from Tim that we're both like, this is like either gonna be the prophecy or setting it up. And we get excited but we also know that means that a time of persecution is coming. We also know a time of judgment's coming. And while we rejoice that God's promises and prophecies are fulfilled, there's a part of us that go, there's gonna be a lot of people lost. A lot of people left out. And I believe this so much. It hurts. At times it hurts. I think Tim, times it hurts you too. And, uh, So that's what happens to Ezekiel. He said, you got to keep sharing and you got to keep caring whether they could care less or not. He told John, you got to keep sharing and you got to keep caring even if people don't accept it. By the way, now, why is that important to you and I? You need to be sharing. And you need to care enough to share whether people like it or not. And it's sometimes going to hurt. Sometimes you're gonna try to share Christ with someone and they're gonna be like a thistle and attack you back. They're gonna say a mean thing or they're gonna reject you or they're gonna cancel you. That's the new thing people do. They'll just cancel you out. And by the way, that does hurt. That does hurt. And, And he said, but keep sharing. Don't stop. Now, this is a big message. Don't ever quit whether they listen or not because you and I are responsible to share and care whether they listen or not. And so we need to be somebody who takes that on, which brings me to the scariest passage in the Bible, to me anyway. I am going to ask you, let God's word speak for itself and don't, don't play a game of mental Olympics to try to say it's not true. You might say, well, what are you getting at? A lot of people have a preconceived notion rather than letting God's word determine what they think. They have another thought process and they they don't accept God's word here, but it's true whether you like it or not. It's the reality of what will or will not happen. In Ezekiel chapter 3.16, by the way, just like there's a John 3.16 we love, there's a Ezekiel 3.16 and beyond that we need to listen to. So Ezekiel 3.16 At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. Remember he said, do it whether they listen or not. Then look at verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, you may go, I don't, that doesn't bother you. Let me tell you what that's saying. If there's someone who's caught in sin, someone who's in despair, someone who's in bondage, and you don't share with them, they may have turned. They may come to God if you share. He actually says that here but you're not sharing doesn't give them the opportunity to come and they die. They'll go to hell and it's your fault. He doesn't say, I'll send another. See, that's what I, I think most of us think. Well, I don't really need to share. I don't need to care enough to go out with the message because someone else will tell them. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. That's right. Nowhere. Right? You and I are the hope of the world. The reason you're here is to share your faith. And if you don't do it, don't think anybody else will. That, that's buying into the lie of the enemy. So you need to know that when we get to heaven and you'll go to heaven, that other people may go to hell. And I'm not so sure they're not gonna be looking at you going, why didn't you tell me? And you can't blame anybody else. God is looking and holding you accountable. Who is it that's true of for you? Is it a coworker? Is it a relative? Uh, Is it a friend? Is it somebody you interact with uh, in in another setting? Because I want to tell you, the minute God put you in their presence, you were the one who's supposed to care. You were the one who's supposed to share. And then he says, Ezekiel, if you don't do it, I'm not going to save them, but I'm going to require their blood at your hands. Chuck, You don't say it. You don't share. You don't speak out. And I'm going, but Lord, they don't want to hear. God said, I told you to say it anyway. You might say, but they're going to get mad. They're going to be like a thistle coming at me. He goes, do it. That isn't a reason. There is no excuse that God will accept for you and I not fulfilling the Great Commission. And we need to know that. Look what it goes on to say in verse 19. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered yourself. He said, in other words, you don't bear the responsibility. It's still horrible they die. It's horrible they go to judgment, but you're not the one who, who sent them there. And then it says in verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him. I don't want you to miss that line. I place an obstacle before him. He will die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, but his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, this is the one that almost everybody seems to, not almost everybody, that's not a true statement, that many shut their eyes and say this can't be true. If a righteous person, a Christian, turns away from Christianity and their righteousness, God said they're going to die. They're going to judgment. And he said, but if you don't warn them, their blood's on your hand. You don't try to reach them, that's on you. And he said, if they just wander away and you don't go after them, then you're responsible. And so that's what he says here. It couldn't be clearer. Uh, And he says this, however, if you've warned a righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you've delivered yourself. And don't miss what that said, that you and that person will be standing in heaven one day and they're going to turn and go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you cared. Thank you that you shared. And we can't miss that. This is the theology of the watchman. And what we understand, not only here, this is actually repeated twice in Ezekiel. God, God has this. is so important. It matters so much, it's repeated twice. And yet it's ignored twice very often. And God, in the theology of the watchman, says, just like a watchman on the wall of a, of a great city in ancient times or of a great fortress in ancient times. And that watchman's to look out and watch for impending danger. And whenever they see it, they're to sound the alarm. It's their job to tell of the judgment that's coming. He said, if you're a watchman, you've got to do your job and watch out. And you've got to sound the alarm. Uh, it's interesting that uh, throughout ancient history, there actually are many stories of watchmen who went to sleep on the job. Uh, One, and if uh, if you're a believer, this will really echo for you. Uh, If you're new to this, lock this in your mind. It'll become richer and deeper the more you study the word. But one time it happened in a city called Sardis. Sardis is one of the seven uh, uh, cities in the book of Revelation that we are supposed to study and take heed for in our day. And the city of Sardis was considered the impregnable city. It was considered invincible. It was considered impossible to take. No one had ever conquered Sardis. As a matter of fact, there was a saying at that time that says this, as a child could defend the city of Sardis. Uh, That's the whole saying. As a child could defend the city of Sardis. In other words, you could put two-year-olds on the wall and it would be safe, supposedly. And in 549 B.C., Cyrus was leading the Medo-Persian army. And Cyrus believed if I could take the city of Sardis, everybody else will fall to me quickly because that'll say that no one can withstand me. If I could take the impregnable city, then everybody else surely will surrender. Does that make sense? It's a great war strategy. So he brings this huge army to attack Sardis, which is high up and hard to get to. And with narrow ways in so they easily could defend it. And the watchmen in the wall saw this massive army out there. And Cyrus had no idea how to take that city that was so high, so fortified. And they watched and watched and watched. And Cyrus's watchmen didn't go to sleep. And they one night saw a soldier's helmet fall and go tumbling down. And they watched the soldier climb over the wall. And in the crack of the wall, he rappelled down, got his helmet and climbed back up and they knew that was their way in. But the only way it would work is if the watchmen went to sleep, and they did. They went to sleep, and once they saw they were asleep, they sent men up, they killed all the watchmen, and they took the city. There was no watchman to sound the alarm. There was no watchman to warn them. It would have only taken one, and they would not have lost the city that night. But because they did not watch. And because they didn't sound the alarm, even with the huge army right out in the front of them, that caused them uh, uh, to literally go through a time of defeat. Now, here's what happened next, because this honestly is super important. So Cyrus thought, okay, I took the city. What do I do? Do I uh, uh, kill everybody? Uh, Do I torture everybody? Do I exile everybody from the area? And Cyrus came up with a better idea. He decided he would keep the city if he made them incredibly comfortable. So Cyrus gave them the best of food they could eat all the time with the goal that they would gain weight and and actually become fat and flabby. Uh, He taught them music so they could have party after party after party. He made them as comfortable as possible so they could live in slavery and never be a threat again. Now, you might be thinking, Chuck, well, what does that have to do with us? We're the watchmen. I think Satan goes, let's make Christians in the United States fat and happy. Let's make them comfortable. Let's make it so, you know, we have nice houses and nice cars and and comfortable beds. And we don't see any need to walk away from our comfort and share Christ with people because it might be a little uncomfortable. And that would be a very real description of the church in this country. No passion, no willingness to take up the cross because Satan's just got us comfortable. And you know what? We need to understand that's not okay. Listen to what Jesus said to the church of Sardis and remember the history of Sardis. Jesus said to the angel of the church in Sardis, "Right, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you're alive. You have the name Christian that you are alive. He goes, but you're dead. You've got the name you're alive, but you're not. You're, you're not really a Christian. And then he goes on to say, wake up. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember, Jesus said, what you have received and heard and keep and repent. But he says, listen to what he says. This is to a church a church that doesn't have any active faith. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come upon you. Do you know what he's saying? Please don't miss what he's saying. He said, when the rapture happens and I come like a thief in the night, I'm not taking you. Will there be Christians left behind? Yes, yeah, this passage is one, but there are others. Yes, there'll be Christians left behind. And the rapture will happen and they'll wake up and they'll be like, What happened? And they have to endure horrors that the world will go through all the bitter things that John said would come. And they will be left behind. Why? Because they didn't care enough to share. They didn't live out their faith. They allowed Satan to make them comfortable. And that's what he's talking about here. By the way, let me say this. Not to be mean, some of you right now need to wake up. Come on now. You need to wake up. Who is it you're to be caring for? Who should you be sharing with? What should you be doing in the name of Christ? What should you be sacrificing? You know, I want to say a lot of people who are Christians have never sacrificed a thing. And that's not okay. There are times we should. And it says in verse four, but you have a few people in Sardis, just a few who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus said, if you wake up, you're gonna be great. If you don't wake up, I may erase your name from the book of life. By the way, think what that means. Now think what Ezekiel said. Ezekiel was told by God, if a righteous man turns from his righteousness, it will be remembered no more, and he'll die. See, twice here we're told that those who are Christians need to be careful. That that there is a judgment for those who walk away from the faith. And it's scary. And uh, by the way, as a pastor, that's why when people leave the church, if they leave the church to go to another church, then we're, we're fine. But when they leave the church, it's not okay. It's the hardest part of being in the ministry. It's the toughest thing to deal with. By the way, not because they've left me, because I fear for their soul. And I fear for the soul of their children. Uh, Ezekiel 3, verse 18 says, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And it goes, yet, if you've warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or turn from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. He says, so you know what? You've, you're a factor in whether people are saved or not. You're a factor in whether they're reached or not. You're a factor in whether they come to know the Lord or not. And so it really is true that you and I need to ask the question, are we sharing and caring enough that we are going to try to reach everybody we can? Everybody we can. So um, for me, and I know I'm not perfect, I'm not saying that, uh, when I go get my hair (laughs) cut... I'm walking in ready to witness. That's like the best place. They can't get away from me. Uh, When I have the opportunity to build a relationship, I'm going to share. It wasn't that long ago that uh, a person came to do a fumigation, or not a true fumigation, but to do a a treatment for our house. And uh, the person walked in, and I found out they were from a city called Ramallah that I know pretty well in Palestine. And so now the question, Christian or non-Christian, by the way, statistically, almost for sure not. And I got to find out they were from, they were Islam. I, we got to talk about Ramallah. And then I walk them into my entryway. And I said, look at these pictures. And I started telling them about prophecy fulfilled in the Eastern Gate and Jesus Christ coming back and this young guy is like, huh? and he starts asking question after question after question. And then he figured out I was a pastor. And then he figured I was from Crossroads. And he goes to a mosque near here. And, and I'm like, well, tell me what you believe in, how you'll get to heaven. And, 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 and then he got honest at one point and goes, well, I'm not really sure. And I'm like, oh, man, I locked the door. No, not really. Um, what a great guy he was. And uh, I, I just... Actually, as soon as I saw you, I was telling you all about it, right? Yeah, and it's just, it felt like so good whether he listened or not. And he listened, by the way. So you and I are that hope. Listen to what it goes on to say in Ezekiel 3, verse 20. Again, and he brings it up again. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, I place an obstacle before him. Now, notice what God says. If a Christian starts to walk away, God won't let them walk away easily. He's going to trip them up. He's going to put an obstacle out there. He's going to put them in a moment where they have to think about it. God's not going to let go easily, but God is not abusive. He's not going to chain them up either. He says, I'll put an obstacle before him, but he will die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin and his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely die because he took warning or surely live. He shall surely live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. He shall surely live. So you warn him and he listens and now he comes back and he gives his life to Christ because you took the time and you had enough passion and compassion to share. Uh, I like I uh, love working with Tracy, period. Uh, Pam and I love having her in our life. But it's a partnership in ministry, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you had somebody um, that this passage was very meaningful about why you had to go and share with them, right?
2: Yes, yeah. There's a family friend who, who we love. And uh, this weighed on my heart just from preparing this message. And uh, this is someone that I've been praying for for a while to, to come back to the Lord. So this would be someone who was righteous and has fallen away. And I believe I'm the obstacle that God's putting in front of him for sure after reading that. But um, I showed him this passage. I was like, you got to read this. You got to know this is why I'm sharing with you because I don't want there to be a moment where I'm before God. And if I don't share, your blood is on my hands. But even more than that, I want you to be standing with me and us entering into heaven together. I I don't want there to be any confusion to where you didn't know what needs to happen
0: yeah oh yeah, yeah and uh, you feel like that he understood the, the reason you did that oh for
2: sure he actually you, he got oh. so scared he uh, after I showed it to him that night or maybe the next night, he stayed up all night reading through it, kind of freaking out and uh, needing to know for himself what that means for him
0: yeah, and I love that I love number one you shared it you actually noticed you know I mean you really took the time to notice hey he's not with the Lord anymore and then you cared enough to look for an opportunity to share and then uh, he knew that Priscilla actually told me he knew right away that the reason you guys would do that is because you care about him, uh, and it is true. No one cares what you know till they know how much you care, um, and then you got to start watching the Holy Spirit work and move. And this guy is so incredible. This guy matters so much that you know you would take a risk. By the way, it's a risk sometimes, um, but but it's worth the risk. And Jesus told us that we need to have this this compassion that compels us. Uh, he told the story of a lost sheep. And he said, go after the lost sheep. Uh, he told the story of a lost coin. And he talks about a woman lighting a lamp and looking for the coin. But what you may not know, she burned more oil than what the coin was worth because it mattered that much to get the coin. Uh, and then told about a lost son who left his father and went out and lived a life that was anything but honoring to his father. And it's called the prodigal son. And Jesus said that the father looked daily. He watched every moment for that son to come home. And then God did put an obstacle in front of him. He lost his job. He lost his friends. He lost everything. And he ended up doing work that he never thought he would do, which was feeding pigs to a Jewish person. There's no worse job than that. And he was so hungry, he thought, i I, I'm almost ready to eat what the pigs are eating. And then it says, he came to his senses to come home. He came to his senses to return. And where was the father? Looking down the road. And it says, the father ran to him. By the way, that's a story of when God ran to welcome somebody back. Because God cares. And God doesn't want people to leave. But listen to what the father says about the son, Luke 15, 24. But this son of mine was dead. So according to the father, while he was in his fallen state, he was dead. And has come to life again. And he was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. By the way, around here, we do that. Uh, we celebrate people who make first-time commitments. And we celebrate people who make recommitments. All commitments to Christ get celebrated. And in heaven, they do too, by the way. And there's so much joy over that and so much excitement. So we need to be people who care enough to share. So who is it for you? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Uh, Is it a family member? Uh, Is it someone you do life with in another setting? Who is it that God has put in your path and now you know their name and now their eternity is in your hands and you can't take it for granted, God will send someone else. You are the one. You are the called. You shall share, whether it's sweet or whether it's bitter, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether they listen or whether they don't. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. It's called the Great Commission. And it's why God has you on earth right now if you're a believer. And you and I need to take to heart James 5, verses 19 to 20. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're praying that we as a church would have a passionate commitment to Christ's cause. Luke 19.10 says, For this cause the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So I hope right now that you would not uh, hold back. I hope right now you would not sit too comfortable. I hope right now you would not be so concerned about your pleasures and, and your life that you forget about the eternity of somebody else. And if you right now are not close to Christ, I care that much about you. And if you're a believer, I'm gonna ask you to do this right now. Start praying for anybody who needs to either commit or recommit their life to Christ. Maybe you don't even know their name, but they matter. There's someone God loves, someone Jesus died for, and that could be you. And right now, really think about it. Are you living the life that the Lord wants you to live? Or is Jesus saying to you, wake up, Maybe he's saying to you as a Christian, you've got the name Christian, but you're not living it. And that label is not what gets you to heaven. It's the commitment to Christ and accepting his sacrifice that does. So if you're a Christian and you're not living the way Jesus wants you to live, wake up. If you're not living for the things Jesus wants you to, wake up. It's time. But if you wake up, you're waking up to the best life you could ever live, to the most love you could ever experience, to the greatest peace you could ever have, to joy that will be your strength. Wake up to all those things that are so for you because God is for you. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never made a commitment that's real, where you come to know him as your Lord and as your Savior, really know him and live life with him, then I'm going to challenge you right now to do that. And for both, whether it's a commitment or a recommitment, or you need something, uh, 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 you need to be, have freedom from so- something or healing, pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of commitment. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross for me, and you died for my sins. And so I pray, oh Lord, that you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes to you. And if that's all you can say, say it. I say yes, I say yes, I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God. The Bible says the angels of heaven are rejoicing even if one person prayed that prayer. And that one person may be you. And you matter that much to God. And you matter that much to us. So I want you to do this. Uh, I want you to let us know that you said yes to God. How can you do that? By texting AMEN to 77247. Text AMEN to 77247. And uh, another way to do it is to go to crossroadschurch.family, www.crossroadschurch.family all one word, dot family, because we wanna be family with you. And there's a place there saying, I said yes. Click on that. And you know what? We wanna give you a free copy of a book uh, by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life so you can have that. It's a great next step for you to take to read that book and apply it to your life. And again, we are so excited for you. So if you said yes to Jesus, then text or go to crossroadschurch.family so we can We can celebrate. But right now we're gonna go back into a time of worship and we're gonna ask God to move in a really special way. So Father, I pray and ask right now that this worship would be a time of us drawing closer to you, growing in a deeper commitment to you and having an incredible experience with you that we might be fueled to go and share and care in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. and I love that you're with us tonight. I also love something else. Get ready. I believe with all my heart, we're living in the last days and it's no accident that God had you be born in such a time as this. For a Christian, there's no more important time to be on this earth and God thinks that much of you. So you were born with a mission to fulfill the great commission. Let's do it together. Let's reach more people. Let's care in a bigger way and let's do it in the name of Jesus. May you be blessed and we'll see you soon. God bless you.